If you can't already tell, um, y'all are going to have to bear with me today because um, I've got a little bit of this stuff going on. Whatever the stuff is, I've got the stuff. So um, not, not in a good way, not like I've got the stuff, but like it's the bad stuff. Um, I'm not much of a handyman. Uh, I do try from time to time. Uh, and a couple of years ago, my wife and I bought our first, I guess it was three, four years ago now, my wife and I bought our first house. And I, I was really excited to sort of learn some new skills and make some improvements. And, uh, and I did that I, on a few different occasions, actually. I changed a garbage disposal. I installed a kitchen sink. I changed out a toilet. I lowered drain pipes. I built a shed. I could go on. Um, and when I list them real quick like that, it sounds like all of them went very smoothly. Um, but the reality is each one of them took about 10 times longer than I had originally planned and was about five times more difficult than I thought it would be. Um, you know, YouTube makes everything look really easy because they, they speed it up, you know, it's time lapse. They don't tell you that they're speeding up the video, but it's like they're speeding stuff anyway. Um, so it, 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 uh, it was a challenge, uh, but it was fun. You know, it was, uh, it was surprising, but it was fun. Probably the biggest surprise, though, of any project I took on was when I changed the light fixture. Now, before I get into that, uh, you should know I, I have done a little bit of, you know, I had in high school, I had some classes on computer electronics. Like I, I knew a little bit about electricity and, um, you know, electrical safety and that sort of thing. So I knew you were supposed to turn the light off at the switch and at the breaker, right? Because uh, that's a, a double safety measure. You just, you want that redundancy in there to make sure the circuit's not light. I know that. There's a difference between knowing what to do and doing it. And, uh, and while I knew that, I failed to do it. And there was a moment while I was standing on top of a chair in the kitchen alone, getting zapped by a live wire, where it occurred to me I've made some crucial errors in my planning uh, for this project. Um, now, I was fine. No harm done, obviously. Um, but I did learn a valuable lesson about light. The light bulb came on. And I'm sorry, I know that's a dad joke, but I had to say it. The light bulb came on. Um, and I realized that light requires power, right? That's something we don't think often about. We're, we're kind of accustomed to flipping the switch and the light is there. We don't necessarily think about what is happening to make that light uh, come into our, our view. Now, set that in the back of your mind for a moment. We'll come back to that. Uh, the Transfiguration, uh, today we, we celebrate the Transfiguration, um, and uh, we can all admit that it's a very strange story. And there's a lot of strange stories in Scripture. There's a lot of different genres in Scripture. We have in Scripture, we have poetry, we have history. But this, this episode is probably the closest that the Scriptures come to sounding like science fiction. It's just strange, isn't it? I mean, we're, we're very accustomed. You know, we see the artwork, we've seen the pictures of it. But it really is strange if you think about it. We read, Jesus led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. Just like that, he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him, these people who had been dead for centuries. So, recap, you've got Moses and Elijah beaming down on the mountaintop, talking to Jesus. Uh, you've got Jesus standing there, whose face is glowing like a light bulb, and whose robe has become all of a sudden iridescent. That's a strange image. That's a strange thing to happen. You've got James and John and Peter pretty well in shock, unsure what to make of it all. And I, I always love to hear Peter's response because it's, 
it's both the dumbest and most understandable thing to do in that moment. You know, Peter rushes to their side and says, hey, you guys need anything? You know, do you need a, need a place to stay? I can pitch a few tents. Um, no one understands what's going on. Peter, James, and John, they're standing there. No one understands what's going on. And in fact, they won't until after Jesus has been crucified, resurrected, and ascended to glory at the Father's right hand, which is why Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this yet. It's not because he doesn't want people to know. It's because the disciples don't get it yet, and they won't until after everything is accomplished. But it's a strange moment. And their response, Peter's response, James' response, John's response, is a lot like ours when we hear this story. It's, what is going on? What is happening? Well, first of all, just as I discovered when I grabbed the business end of a light socket, light requires power. Light comes from power. There's this connection between power and glory. That's something we don't think often about because, like I said, light for us is generally under our control. It's something we flip a switch and it's there. It's contained. It's safe. Um, And unless we go poking around in there like I did, it's not likely to hurt us. Um, We don't think of it as power until, of course, the power is out. We don't think of what's going on behind the scenes. But the fact is, it's power. You can think about uh, natural sources of light. So the sources of light that the disciples would have been familiar with, that Jesus would have been familiar with, sources of light in those days are what? What what naturally produces light? You've got the sun, power. You've got the stars. You've got the moon. You've got lightning. You've got fire. You've got things that you can't touch, things that you can't control, but all powerful things, glorious things, and beautiful things. The transfiguration is about the power, the glory, the beauty of Christ, which was throughout his earthly life hidden. But in this moment, in the transfiguration, shows through in the weakness of his humanity. And it all happens on a mountain. We know that there are some of the biggest moments of Scripture happen on a mountain. And this this calls back several episodes in the Old Testament, which, in fact, we heard one of them this morning, the Um, uh, event on Mount Sinai. The Old Covenant begins as Moses receives the law on the mountain of Sinai. The Old Covenant is renewed by the prophets. And the New Covenant is foreshadowed as Elijah listens to the still small voice on the mountain of Horeb. These two great men together sum up all of the Old Testament. And in fact, it was a way of referring to the Old Testament. You could just say uh, the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah. You could sum it all up that way. The first uh, giving of the old covenant and the re- recalling of people to that covenant, the, the call to repentance, to return. But these moments where Elijah, where Moses are called to their vocation, are challenged, met with the presence of God, these moments happen on the mountain. Similarly, when Christ appears on the mountaintop, the voice of God the Father speaks from heaven. Moses uh, received the law from God. Elijah received his his vocation to return and call the people to repentance. Now the father gives the final and complete summary of the law, the perfect picture and the infallible teacher of the law. But this time there are no lists. There are no tablets of stone. Instead, there's just a simple call. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. That's it. 
The law is all summed up, all fulfilled, all given in a single final invitation to listen to Christ. That's what Paul heard, what Paul understood. He says in in Philippians, in the reading that we heard today, for his sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, not through the giving of tablets to Moses, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Paul goes on in a moment, uh, and and, and what he goes on to say helps us to understand a little bit why this Sunday is placed before the season of Lent. It may seem a bit confusing to celebrate the transfiguration before moving into this time of repentance. But uh, the reason that we we do this, the reason that we conclude this season of epiphany, focusing on the revelation of of Christ to the Gentiles and to the world, the reason why we conclude that with with the transfiguration is because the vision of Christ that we see in the transfiguration, the vision of Christ's beauty, of Christ's glory, of Christ's power, that's precisely what makes the hardship and sorrow and repentance of Lent all worth it. Paul goes on and explains why he's willing to suffer the loss of all things, why he accepts suffering and hardship and loss for the sake of the gospel. He says, it's all for this, that I may know him, Christ, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. In other words, sharing in Christ's suffering makes complete and total sense because we're looking and sharing, we're looking forward to sharing in his glory. Christ makes it all worth it for Paul. And if we had followed Peter and James and John through the rest of their life, what we would see is that this vision stuck with them. Peter in his letters, he's He's an older man. He's he's recalling the ministry of Christ, probably recalling his own foibles. We look at the book of Mark and we see that there are plenty of them. Um, Even in this episode, he comes across a little bit bumbling. But he looks back to this moment on the mountain, this moment of Christ's transfiguration where the power and glory and beauty of Christ is shown through. And even in his letters later on in his life, he looks back to that and sees that as a powerful moment of transformation, not only in Christ but in himself. A moment where he changed because he came to see Christ how he is. In other words, Christ makes it all worth it. I hope that we'll remember that as we move into the season of Lent, that there is power in the glory of Christ, that there is love in the beauty of Christ, that there is forgiveness in the word of Christ, and that there is hope in the face of Christ. More glorious than Moses' vision of God on Mount Sinai. More powerful and gracious and intimate than the still small voice which Elijah heard on Mount Horeb. We have here among us the presence of God in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, speaking by his word, gloriously hidden in his sacrament. And all that is left for us is to see him, to know him, and to listen to him. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.